Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Bad Beats episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary worst deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor. Hi and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Smith the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, the premier and asset protection for real estate investors and all things real estate investment related needed. Today, I'm with a good friend of mine, Robert. Robert is a uh, phenomenal individual joining us from Medellin, Colombia. Is that right, Robert? Yes, I am, but I'm American. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, he's American, folks. The freedom of real estate. I can live where I want to live and do deals where I want to do deals. And I'm telling you, man, at the end of the day, it's really about that freedom. Like it's the freedom to choose to work more for a lot of people that are entrepreneurs, you know, like you get the time and space freedom and then it becomes, how do I like to work? Right. That's true. Yeah. Well, Robert, I'm excited to have you on the show today. I know that there's all kinds of deals that you could talk about with us today. And I was just wondering if you want to kick us off with a quick background of, you know, what do we need to know about you um, as it relates to this deal to really get a good context for it? Well, I'm a full-time real estate investor. I've done over a thousand real estate deals, houses, apartment buildings, or started very humbly. And I want to talk today about my big mistake. I've written 18 books, half on real estate investing, speak a lot, but uh, love doing deals. Uh, right now, currently, I probably get about nine deals a, a month, to, nine to 12 that we do. My team, we rent, we buy, fix, and sell, we wholesale a little bit. And flunked out of high school, had dyslexia, uh, was working in restaurants as a waiter, Thought you had to have money to make money. Thought you had to be from a super rich family, which I was not. And met my mentor when I was about 27. And he was worth uh, between 30 to $50 million. He also never graduated high school like me. And I'm like, wait a minute. If this guy can do real estate and make millions, maybe I got a chance. And he showed me what to do. And of course, like everybody, the first year, I didn't do anything. Thought, worried, wondered, analyzed, hypothesized, negativized, skepticized, and never made an offer. And then finally uh, made my first offer and used money partners, never uh, had money or credit to start with, to speak with. And in two years, I retired. I had about uh, 15 duplexes in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm from. And after a year of kind of goofing off, I said, man, uh, maybe it works with uh, 15 or work with 50 and then 100. And then I just kept going and I love it. And I've retired three times, but I'm doing deals again from real estate and I love helping others. But I want to talk about my worst deal ever. Because I think people are scared to get started or I think you learn more from mistakes because I've pretty much made all of them. And if I can help somebody avoid some mistakes, there you go. So how's that for a quick down and dirty uh, biography? <laughs> that's great, Robert. Yeah, I think like anybody that's been in the game long enough, right, has made mistakes and made a bad deal. In fact, I don't even trust people if they tell me their experience, if they don't have a bad deal to tell me about. I'm like, you're either way too conservative or you're just not really... You're not really giving me the full story of it. So I love, I love bad deal conversations, mainly because I think that's where we learn the most. If we can really reflect on, on what happened there, do like a postmortem of sorts. That's what these bad deals really are. It's the opportunities of learning something that obviously was a big gap for us, sometimes in the knowledge of the actual investment. But most of the time, I find that it's actually there was something that was going on behind the scenes away, right? It wasn't because we did the math wrong on the spreadsheet that the deal went bad, right? There was something else that, that ended up happening. So Robert, do you want to catch us up with about the, the deal itself? Like what did it look like it was going to be at, at the very beginning of this sure. uh, tale of, of, of Robert buying real estate? 
First of all, thank you for having me, Scott. I think it's great what you're doing, and I think it's great that people are listening and learning because you can either go out there and make the mistakes yourself or learn from others like me and you, I guess, and uh, not make the mistakes. And I'm a big, big believer in systems and checklists. My mentor gave them to me. I'm going to give your listeners some of them. And I didn't follow it. And uh, some of the people won't follow it. And if you don't, it's dangerous. And if you follow it, you're going to save and make a lot of money and not only money, but time and aggravation. Because it's not only the money, it's just the lost time and stress from the mistakes. So here's the thing I've learned. You know, I've been doing real estate since 1994, and I still am open, always learning. I think when you get ego and start thinking you know everything or get a little overconfident, you'll make a mistake. <laughs> and that's what happened to me. So I'd done about nine or 10 deals uh, in Nashville, mainly duplexes. And a, a guy that I met, great guy, kind of looked up to him. He had like hundreds of deals. He was a big wholesaler. And by the way, I'm still friends with him. He was selling me some deals, and there were five duplexes. And he said they were worth about $80,000, give or take a few bucks. He showed me a couple comps. He said the repairs are like uh, five to 7,000, you know, a little paint and cleanup. And he uh, showed me a couple repair bids that a buddy has put together. I got excited. The rents were great. The cash flow was great. He took me by the neighborhood in the evening and we never went in them. He just showed them to me, drove by and slowed down. So it was a great deal that other buyers were around. I got excited. I skipped every step, which I'm about to give to you. And I just said, hey, I want to buy them. I don't want someone else to get these. The rents were great. He told me uh, what the rents were. I posted them I needed work from bad management. Put a contract in, borrowed money, put a down payment. And I bought each of them for about 30 grand, you know, maybe 35 each duplex. And uh, they needed like five grand to work. That's 40 in, worth about 80. It's a layup. Good cash flow, five, 600 bucks to side rent. That's thousand bucks minimum coming in, great cash flow, and I closed <laughs> quickly. So you closed on that deal right away uh, just from doing a drive-by? Yep. And I trusted him. And, you know, I don't think he was dishonest. I just think he skipped a lot of steps. And I surely did. I didn't verify anything. Yeah. And so my mentor said, verify, verify, because people make mistakes. Even your best friend, a wholesaler, realtor, even I make mistakes. I'm a person. So here's the question. What's your system, whether you do one deal a year or 10 deals a month, so there's not human error? And I have the system. My mentor gave it to me. Number one, get three to five recent sales close by. Number two, check with a market professional who works those streets. Number three, look at other a property for sale in the area. Number four, days on market. I didn't do that. I trusted him. Number two, when you get a repair bid, get your own contractor, not his or hers, to go by and verify and get a detailed repair bid with pictures. And if you're not comfortable, get another one. Yeah. And number three, negotiate. I didn't do any of that. So you just you pulled straight in like this is such a hot deal. I'm just going to yeah, go. Got excited. Yeah. And a lot of new investors, you know, Scott, like me, get excited. No yeah. emotion in investing. Yeah. And, and you the know, this is actually great. to tell you, Robert, this is actually like a, a podcast that we did with Gino, Jake and Gino. Gino's first yeah. deal was exactly the same scenario. He just thought it was such a great deal. It was such a slam dunk. No research into the property at all and then jumping straight into it. And what I think is great about your story is that you backtracked into it and said, holy smokes, I have to follow a system now. I'm mentor drilled in. I mean, I just got excited and skipped steps. And it happens to everybody. Emotion, greed, yeah. ego, whatever you want to call it. Excitement. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So you ended up, oh, sorry, I think we're on number four. Did we want to tackle these as we go through the podcast or do you want to go through all of them? 
I didn't know what your timing was for that. Keep going. Yeah, let's go through. I think we're on, are we at number five right now? I'm writing these down. These are gold right here. Well, the three ways to verify property are number one, what's it really worth? Three to five recent comps. Number two, verify with a third-party market professional again, because there might be 20 other foreclosures for half the price for sale in the next three. And number four, days on market. Hey, might appraise well or comp well, but it might be on the market, you know, nine months. That's too long. And then the repairs, number two section, is you have to get a third-party contractor, not the one someone showed you or gave to you, to verify those repairs with a video. And if you're not comfortable, get another contractor inspector to go out. I didn't do that. And then, of course, the third most important number is what are you buying them for? Negotiate a bit if you can. I didn't do any of it. Just got excited. Well, if you would have negotiated for that deal, would you have done, typically have just done that through your friend? Like after you did all of this, then you submit? Yeah. With a wholesaler, I'm very delicate with wholesalers. I asked, do you have a little room or what are you making on it? I didn't ask that. Some will tell you, some won't. He made a $12,000 a building, I later found out. So he definitely had room to go down. Yeah. <laughs> he had another contract for like 18 grand and wholesome me for 30 grand a pop with a lot of repairs, much more than he represented. And wow. so what happened? I closed and then I did my due diligence after I closed. Big mistake. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and, and when you, you end up, uh, after you close, be able to go to the due diligence, it's already way too late, right? Like you don't even have anybody that you can really even sue or anything because nobody really no. bought of you, right? No, I bought him as is and he was a wholesaler and I signed all the disclosures and disclaimers and I'm an investor and I'll have only me to blame. When you do something good in business and when you have your own business, you can take credit. And when something bad happens with you or your team, I'm responsible 100%. It's my business. Yeah, and I just want to take a second in there, Robert, because this is one of the questions that we get a lot, right? Where it's like deals go bad and everybody thinks lawsuit. And the reality is like lawsuits will happen a lot where people make mistakes, right? So it could have been that this situation could have actually triggered a lawsuit against your friend, right? In some circumstances because of it, because it ended up being so bad. A lot of people get angry and mad and that's where they start filing suits from it. But I think it's great from your story, which is, you know, this isn't me needing to blame somebody else. This is me taking personal responsibility for what's happening in my life and the decision I made. And I would just take a wild guess and adventure on that, but that's probably a belief system and a virtue that you use that been a foundation for your future success. Right. As just an entrepreneur. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. You know, as an entrepreneur, I'm, you know, I'm 100% responsible. A lot of people like to work for somebody else because you don't have to make decisions. But as an entrepreneur, you have to make hundreds of little big decisions a week. And they're not all perfect, but I'm responsible and I'm responsible for my team and my system. Absolutely. And you have to take 100% responsibility as an investor. You know, I used to blame the government, my parents, the school for all my failures, and I was very good at it. I practiced a lot, but it got me nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I know a turning point in my life on that is when I started watching like late night politics on like Seth Meyers and whatnot, where people were just making jokes about it. And I was just laughing along instead of being angry about the way things are going. Just be like, ah, that's what it is. Those decisions aren't inside of the spectrum of things I can control. Um, I'm just going to focus on what I can control and what are the things that I'm really responsible for and, and focus on that. Because yeah, it's really like about the blaming other people. You're just never going to get anywhere with it. And then and taking responsibility for what it is and what occurred there, I think pretty definitely like leads us into the next phase of this, which is, you know, you've done your due diligence. You just found out that you made a horrible deal. On, on what you're doing, you're probably going to lose money or, or make almost no money on the deal. What is that like? 
I'm an open book and I probably should admit this, but hey, you sound like a great guy. I went out the next day with my contractor and my friend who was very experienced, which I should have done before, you know, during the due diligence period. I did have a few days, just didn't do it. And my contractor said, there's not five to seven grand of work. There's 20 to 30 grand easy in each building, some 35. And I'm like, wait, if I bought them for 30 and spend 30 to fix them, you know, they're still worth 75 or 80. And then I did my research and they were worth 30 to 35 fixed up. So I'm about $30,000 upside down each building times five. That's a $150,000 mistake. And I'll admit it. I'm a guy. I cried. <laughs> I stood yeah. up in the corner of those buildings and I said, what have I done? I'm finished. The other money I made in real estate's gone. I don't have the money to blow. What am I going to do? I'm going to go broke. 150 grand in the hole. And I cried and I was like 29 years old. Sad. Yeah. Wow. That's a powerful moment though. Because that sounds like one of those, that, that type of moment that's like a make or break your moment for you. Yeah. And I wanted to give up. I mean, I said, man, I just really, all the real estate I'd done, the eight deals before, I wiped out my profits pretty much almost. And I just said, what do I do? And I thank God I had a mentor, an older guy. And he said something to me that changed my life. And he was an old country guy, never went to finished high school. And he said, Bobby, he said, you made a mistake, but I got some good news for you. I'm like, what's the good news? He said, time will fix any problem in real estate. And I went, what? That's a beautiful he, saying. He said, Bobby, if you sell today, you're going to lose a lot of money, but you're not selling today. It's like the stock market. It's an illusion. You only make money when you buy and when you sell. And I went, what? He goes, if you hang in there long enough, you're going to make money. And I didn't believe him. I said, no, I've just lost 150 grand. I don't have the money. What am I going to do? I was focused on the problems and he was focused on solutions. He said, Bobby, what you're going to do is you're going to fix the duplexes as you can, and you're going to rent them because they will rent. And you're going to hang in there for five to 10 years, and you're going to make money. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you will. <laughs> and I you know, argued because, you know, I used to always think I was right. I, I don't know about you, Scott. I love to be right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, used to I love being right. I'm an attorney. You know, like, what yeah. do you do? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I tell people, do you want to make money or do you want to be right? And I'm like, open now. I listen. I don't judge. I listened to my elders. I listened to experience. I listened to experts. Back then, I listened to myself, and it was a big mistake. I used experts. I thought I knew my stuff, and I made a huge mistake. So I fixed uh, the first building up, and I literally spent about thirty-five grand. I'm upside down, like thirty grand in the building. I mean, imagine that horrible. Yeah. And yeah. I did rent them, and then I waited a little bit, fixed the next building. It took about nine months a year. It was horrible, horrible. But I tell people. When I rent, my mentor wrote down, made me write down that I'm in for 10 to 15 years to buy and hold, not two years, not six months. Now I buy, fix, and sell in two to eight months sometimes, and I wholesale now in 30 to days. But when I buy and hold, it's for 10 years plus. You're making and, that decision on the front end of a deal, Robert? Yeah. Like I say, this is when I'm buying and hold, and say I'm making a 10-year commitment. Here's the system. You can look at my folders. I write down, I'm going to hold this for 10 years plus and then decide if it rents and cash flows. And I did that with that building, but I still, it felt horrible and it was just bad. But what happened was as I fixed that corner up slowly, the neighbors started fixing their place. So by the way, this was a pretty, not the worst neighborhood, but I'd go C minus, maybe D plus plus. Yeah. <laughs> not the war zone, but a few blocks from it. And I thought it would never get better ever, ever. I just thought I'd rent it. And in 15 years, I'd, you know, pay off my debt. And they'd be worth something, maybe about the same. And that's the thing about real estate. I mean, think about your town, who's ever's listening. And I know, Scott, you're in Austin, correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. 
you know, Nashville is a sleepy town. I mean, um, I grew up there and who would have thought it would boom? Who would have thought people would move in from LA and New York and all that? Same with Austin. Who would have thought that it'd become such a hot city and whatever, wherever you're listening from, you know, what if your mom or grandmother would have bought five houses 20, 30 years ago? What would she have paid and what would they be worth now? Even if she made a mistake. Yeah. Well, that's the power of time, right? Getting into things early, figuring out ways to do it. You get yourself yeah. enough time, you can. You don't have to make the best investments of the world as long as you're active. I think that's one of those old tried and true statements too, right? Like it's better to take action versus the inaction almost every single time, right? And that's really what holds most people back is because they're sitting on the sidelines for so long, all the time runs out and then they have to be right. They can't afford making mistakes. And also quitting. I, I really thought about quitting. I said, man, I just messed up. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go back. How do you not job. quit, really? I mean, you just went upside down. You lost pretty much everything that you'd made in the last nine. Like, How do you not just jump out of the game and not think you're good enough for it? And by the way, not only that, but it was embarrassing because, you yeah. know, I had to call my family and friends and word got out and I was just, it was so embarrassing. I was embarrassed myself. I felt horrible. I even felt like leaving town, like just leaving. You know, and that's what people do uh, when the crisis hit. They just walked away from their homes. They, they didn't call the bank or, you know, call to do a loan remod. And my mentor, I had somebody who watched me and he kept me straight and kind of threatened me. And he actually called me a quitter and made me so mad. I uh, went out and bought more duplexes about eight weeks later. <laughs> I got so mad at him because he called me a quitter. I'm like, I'm not a quitter. He goes, yes, you are. You're talking about quitting. And I got so mad at him. I uh, went and bought some more duplexes in about six weeks with my money partners to prove him wrong. <laughs> and I, I later asked him, why'd you do that? And he said, I know what motivates you. So here's a key. What motivates you? What's going to keep you going when something not perfect happens? Because it's going to happen in business. And if you don't have that drive or motivation or mission or reason or somebody to help you out, you're going to quit because that's why most people fail. And thank God I had him and I didn't quit. It was not pleasant. It cost me money. And for a year, I thought I was just upside down financially. But Guess what started happening after a year? The cash flow was coming. I was making a little bit of cash flow on the deal. The rents were good. I could pay my mortgage and make a little bit of cash. And we have a saying back on the farm in Tennessee, Scott, you can't go broke making a profit. I was making some, <laughs> I was making some money each month from these things once I got them fixed, but I had a lot of money in them. Yeah. And you know, my money partners too, I used money partners in my cash and their cash and, and we had a loan. And guess what happened after about a year and a half, two years? Shocking. The neighborhood started turning, and I, I was the one that turned it. You turned it with your energy of doing those deals and setting kind of like the tone and the precedent. Because I always believe in fixing up the properties a little better than the neighbors and taking really good care of the tenants. And we turned, we made those ugly duplexes pretty. And all of a sudden, that corner was nice. And then the neighbor landlords and managers started fixing their place up a little bit. You know, not all, but some. And it started turning. And the prices started going up. The rents went up. And guess what happened in three years? <laughs> did you did you start coordinating with the other people in the neighborhood to get them to do that? Yes. Or something like I always talk to the neighbors. I always talk to the other managers and neighbors and tell them what we're doing and get everybody involved. The police, the mayor's office, the council person. And because I have a big investment on that corner. We've turned a lot of streets and neighborhoods. And when there was drug problems or crime problems, got everybody involved. The other landlords and landladies, they saw what I was doing. And instead of talking about stuff, people are followers. So once you start fixing stuff up, the tenants start saying, hey, I want to get stuff fixed up. And not everybody does it, but it started turning. We turned the neighborhood. Those four, five, six blocks now are one of the hottest areas in historic Nashville, East Nashville. That's awesome. 
that's like a non-resource, right? It doesn't take you any money to be able to do that, but that's a way to improve your property values is just by going in and creating... Talk to the neighbors, talk to the managers, talk to the tenants. You know, I'm very involved in me and my manager with ours, making sure everything's good and safe and quiet. And it got better and better. And you won't believe this. They were worth about $90,000 three years later. And I was on about 60, 65, give or take a few bucks. And then they're worth 120 and I sold them. And it was a big mistake because now they're worth about 200. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That the glory of hindsight. One other thing that happened, which is really strange, people always ask me, what about hurricanes and tornadoes and fires? And I say, listen, you don't want that to happen, but I had insurance. One of the other things that really turned that area was we had tornadoes, which is horrible. But people don't realize this. The city and insurance company come in and fix everything. So a few years later, there's a tornadoes and most of the houses got completely renovated by the insurance company and the government. And that really brought it up a whole nother notches, which again, you would think that's a horrible thing, but it ended up really helping the neighborhood because everything got fixed almost brand new. Roofs, windows, landscaping, everything from the tornadoes. Crazy, huh? Wow, that's a pretty awesome silver lining, I'll tell you what. All right, I was thinking about here what we were just talking about about what stops people from taking action inside of a real estate or just perhaps, you know, with any type of business endeavor. And one of the things I think that's really cool about your story is that how it's, you really had a point in there where you wanted to quit, that you'd hit at a bottom of sorts, right? And what I heard you say is that in those moments, you have to dig deep to know like what's motivating you because that's what's going to be what drives you from that place to use your, your downfall as your rebound kind of, right? And was that clear to you before your mentor started pointing that out to you? Or was that just an insight he had to knew where it hit you with the cattle prod? He knew that I like challenges. And if he would have said, oh, poor Bobby, you made a mistake. You should quit. It's bad. I would have quit. But he challenged me. And everybody's got a motivation. It's, there's no better or worse. Some people want to be motivated for their family to make money, to take trips, to donate to their church or charity, which I do now. That's my motivation now, the charity stuff. Your motivational change, but he knew it. And he was the only one that supported me because my family was still against me in real estate. Most of my friends thought it was crazy. And what's interesting, I look back at that turning point because I I wanted to quit. I, I can tell you the hour, the day, the feeling. And you need somebody there, a partner, a workout partner, a mentor, somebody. And if I would have quit, I would have never written books. I've now written 18 books, New York Times bestseller. I would have never done a thousand deals. I never would have traveled around the world. I'd probably be like most of my friends working at a restaurant in Nashville. And most of them are still working at a restaurant in Nashville. Nothing wrong with that. But there's those turning points where you have to make that decision. And I think success comes in quantum seconds or minutes when you make those decisions. Quit, not quit. Go here, take that job. Make the offer. Close the deal. Get started. Start writing the book or not write the book. Meet the right person, not meet the right person. And it's not from just analyzing and worrying and wondering. It's by doing. Well, and it's definitely not by analysis, right? Analysis never got any, anybody anywhere. Yeah, you got to be smart. And, and I'll tell you, that mistake made me stick by the systems on every deal, whether my best friend brings it to me, the best wholesaler in the world, the best realtor. I now verify, verify, verify. I just did it this morning on a deal. And it's a system and checklist. And you've got to follow it. If you don't, you will make a mistake because I made that mistake and it almost cost me pretty much my business. Wow. Every guest that we have on, I, I typically like to think about, you know, what's the lesson learned from today's story. 
And so I'll kick it over to you, Robert, first from, from your story, from your perspective, what's the takeaway in your mind from what you shared today? Well, number one, what I was taught is whether you do one deal a year or, or 10 a month, have a system and checklist, like you're going to sell the business or you're going to franchise it, uh, how you talk to tenants, how you analyze deals, how you uh, sell a property and follow that checklist or system like a pilot or like McDonald's, a franchise and follow the system and don't deviate. You can improve the system, no emotion. And number two, verify what's your system for human error, because I know I'm going to make mistakes and other people make mistakes. Most of them are not malicious or they're not completely dishonest. People just make mistakes. And what's your system to not make the mistake? And I think number three is even some things not good are going to happen, but that's probably the best thing that happens in your business. That's how you learn. So I'm not saying go look for problems or mistakes, but they're going to occur and say, what can I learn? What can I do better? And don't quit. That's awesome, Robert. I think those are all spot on and great advice. And one thing I learned from talking with you today and really hits home for me is just the power of community. There's two points to your story. One is that with your power of connecting with the neighbors and connecting with all of those people that are around you there, helped lift up the property values itself, and it costs you nothing to do so and probably gave you additional security in your own properties, which is really neat. But the other piece was about just the, the recruiting the mentor and, and having the people skills to even stay friends with the person that kind of almost did you wrong in a way. And you might not see it that way, but it could look that way. Relationships are more important than money. As a matter of fact, he and I have yeah. done over other deals together after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, really, but that speaks well. to your character more than anything, I think, because it's it's really about the way that you're prioritizing the relationships over the money or any particular one transaction is the same foundation that gave you the strength to connect with your mentor and to surround yourself with good people. I think whether you knew you were doing it or not, you're surrounding yourself with good people to have a bottom-out experience and be able to rebound from it because you had built your own safety blanket, your own security network right. with those people. And get them, use the best, best experts, mostly good advice from non-experts. And the last thing is my mentor drilled this into me. Think long-term. He made me write down, I'm going to be in real estate at least 10 to 15 years, not six weeks, not seven months. And if you're long-term, you're going to do well. Yeah. Yeah, if you're long-term, you're going to do well. And if you're valuing the, having the best people around you possibly can over anything else, you don't have to worry about failure because together, a small team of really good people can overcome and do anything. From our, from time our experience. Fix. You have to know what you're doing, but time will fix most mistakes for investors. Think about all the people that you know made a mistake 10 years ago. If they still had that property, they'd be back whole or even have profit now, most of them. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, Robert, I'm all jazzed up right now. I actually like want to go out and do a deal. I'm like, man, I'm feeling great. This is inspirational. <laughs> for, well, you know, and I think it's great what you're doing, inspiring others and helping others to learn. And the best investment is investing yourself with great knowledge like you're giving out through this. So I want to commend you and everybody for taking time to do it because that's the key. Learn, grow, and learn from my mistakes. Don't learn from your mistakes. <laughs> yeah, it's always best to learn from others whenever we can, right? Like smart people will learn from the their own mistakes, but the, the smartest people will learn from other people's mistakes, right? And I think that's, that's right. We're trying to get to um, the Real Estate Nerds podcast as is, is being about that. So I just want to thank everybody for joining us today on the show. Again, this is the Real Estate Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, Royal Legal Solutions, your home for everything real estate, asset protection related. Robert, I just want to say thank you once again for uh, an amazing episode here. And if, Robert, if people uh, want to get in touch with you or follow up you or re read more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
robertsheman.com, S-H-E-M-A-N, Robert Sheman. And I'm on uh, Facebook also, Robert Sheman, S-H-E-M-A-N. Say hello. And there's some free stuff there for folks. And if you need anything, let us know. Uh, I like you. I love to be of service if we can help anybody. So come on by and say hi. That's awesome. Thanks for having me on. And thanks everyone for listening. I want to wish everyone happy, successful in investing and enjoy the process. That's a beautiful piece, right? You can't control the outcome, but you can control the process and make sure you enjoy that at least, right? That's a beautiful thing. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Robert. Everyone have a great one. Uh, Signing off. Thanks. That's all for this Bad Beats episode. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Did you see yourself in any part of that story? I know I did. If you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in the sleeping masses of what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day. Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.